0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Work Friends podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend Ainsley Stanley. This is a bonus episode for Dead Mentor, and
1: today we have Connie Meyer, who is talking about one of her favorite dead mentors, Henry Nowen, and yeah, asking this question of what is the invitation from God to mount
0: on today. But go play bocce ball at the beach, crash a wedding, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. For a moment. Yeah, no. Anyways, oh, that's okay. Fun. Hi. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here again. And um, yeah. We are going to dive into a dead mentor, which I'm so pumped, but welcome again. Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you guys again. Ooh. Thanks for inviting me back. Yes. That's Literally awesome. anytime, Connie. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That's so sweet. I'll make up yeah. topics that I can just, just do back it. with. I'll just, yes. I'll just make up a list when I
0: get home. We're here for it. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So last time we did um, ask you some fun fact questions. This time we're going to ask you what your current favorites are. So what is your current favorite drink?
2: Uh, red wine, always. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> should not be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> what kind of wine? A really, really big, um, which means like full-bodied, like either a good BC, like Cab Sauv blend or, yeah, or a French, like Bordeaux, like it's got to be big. It's got mm. to have personality. It's got to have layers. Mm.
0: Yeah, so... Yeah, of course it would be red wine. Yes, I literally know almost <laughs> nothing about wine aside from what I've learned from the Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like it must be Br- my osmosis because we've never had you over for a glass <laughs> well, of wine. Well, Zach gem. and Brianna, I feel like it kind oh, of trickles true, down. through that' There's a
2: trickle down effect. Yeah, yes. the
0: wine, the white wine that we had at your at their wedding, mm. the best white wine I've mm. ever had in my life, and I Aww. don't really, I don't really love wine. Yeah, that's kind of a household staple. Yeah, yeah, very fun. Okay, um, <laughs> where would you uh, want to go visit next? your next destination um, as far as traveling goes?
2: Well, we are traveling, but it's not really... I mean, it is a destination, which is great. We're going to the Dominican over Christmas, but oh, cool. the next destination that I really want to go to... I mean, that's great. <laughs> I want to go away and I want to get to the beach and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. But I really... Turkey. Turkey is on my travel bucket list and just like, oh, the convergence of East and West, Mm -hmm. so much biblical history. Like it's got the most, you know, New Testament biblical sites anywhere. And it's just, yeah, fantastic. Mm -hmm. We have some missionary friends who live there and it Mm -hmm. is a goal to get there and just walk the streets with them in their city and pray and just like, oh Mm -hmm. yeah, I can't wait. That'd be so so some Yeah. <laughs>
0: so Dominican. <laughs> yeah. <No>. Turkey.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I'm very, very grateful for yeah. getting away over Christmas. But-
0: that's awesome. Yep. Um, who is your current favorite child? <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh, Jenny B. That could, is not fair. I'm just kidding. I she wrote wrote thought this she down was so funny when she wrote it. I literally <laughs> <them>. put JK <laughs> beside that. Um, <laughs> None of them are listening to this anyway, Yeah. So they won't know. Nah, so I can just, just say, say no. I can tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> um, the, the real question is what's your current favorite thing to do with your family
2: right now? Oh, uh, thing to
0: do with the family.
2: Well, we do like to rock climb, but we don't always all get to do it together. So mm. when we can, that's super fun. Like we did a holiday in August where we went down to Kentucky. or Not Kentucky. Um, what's the other state? West I don't know my state's West Virginia. Thank yeah. you. You know. <laughs> I'm just so glad you're friends. <laughs> so that's just fun that we can all do that together. Mm. And, um, you know, we're all different levels of skill. Um And, you know, we text, like, who's going to the gym tonight? Like, can you join? So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like whoever can make it. Mm -hmm. So it's just fun. Like, it's a great way to hang out. It's a great way to stay fit. It's just a great way to connect. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Yeah, doing something physical together. It's really fun. Yeah, fun. Um, What is your current favorite thing about your work right now? About my work right now? um, Whew, I might cry a little bit.
2: I've been really surprised this fall how I just, I love the people that are in my church. I really, and we're such a, I mean, churches are like this, right? They're motley crews of just weird mix of people that you would never choose to be friends with necessarily outside of church, right? And like, I just love them. Like I was just, I'm surprised with... Some people, when I first got there, I was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, but like yesterday I was up doing just like the family updates and the pastoral prayer and blah, blah, blah. And you just look out and you just like, I love you and I love you and I love you. And you just, it's not something I conjured up in myself, but I think it's just something that has just taken me by surprise Mm. now that I've been there almost two years. Um as you begin to invest in people and you you just get to know them, just Mm -hmm. doing ministry and life together. I've been surprised how much I love the
0: peeps that are there. So Mm. that's been a real gift. That's so good. Mm. And rich. Um, this isn't a current favorite, but what is the next item on your bucket list that you want to accomplish? Hmm. I don't really do a bucket list.
2: Um, but I guess the most immediate goal that I'm working toward is I um, I did start taking Hebrew this fall at seminary. I didn't do any of the biblical languages as part of my original seminary degree. So maybe upgrading to a MDiv or mm. maybe doing a DMIN or, or something theological continuation of studies with some sort of end goal. I'm mm. actually meeting with my academic advisor tomorrow to talk mm. about options. So um yeah, I guess that would be like learning the biblical languages. So I would actually have a working knowledge of Hebrew and Greek to actually look at the original text. Like being a former French teacher, I just really appreciate languages and mm. appreciate the art of translation and how much is lost in translation. So if I could get mm. into the original text and the original languages, I would really love that. I think so. Mm. I guess that that is a bucket list. Isn't yeah, I? totally. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. for sure. I just made it up right now. <laughs> You just didn't know.
2: I just had to process out loud. Thank yeah. you for the question.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, well, well, aside from those fun little facts and current favorites, um, and for people who haven't listened, if you have not listened to Connie's first episode, which they won't have, I don't think it's out oh, yet. Is it? that's this is right. kind of meta because we're recording this oh. like after
1: the time we last recorded, but it's going to come out very soon.
0: Versus, oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, you I will forgot hear about from that. Her. Sneak peek.
1: Yeah, <laughs> get ready t- to
0: t- hear more <laughs> from Connie <laughs> in the next. Connie, do <laughs> you hear that voice crack? Oh, my gosh. Jennifer, pull together. Anyways, so people can get to know who you are yes. and whatever else. Who are you and what does life look like I? for you right now? Okay. I'm Connie.
2: <laughs> I am a wife of 34 years. I I'm am Connie. a mom of three lovely children and two lovely in-law children and one grandbaby. And I am a relatively new pastor. Uh, it's just been the last almost two years that I've been called into vocational ministry, even though the calling was like 15 years ago. Um, actually, stepping into it has just been the last two years in the Mennonite Brethren family of churches, which is my tribe. I just love that stream of Anabaptism. And I had previously been a teacher. I had done some leadership development, Um but mostly was home with my kids for a bunch of years. So, um, yeah, so that's where I'm at now. I'm the associate pastor at Glencairn Church in Kitchener, and um, my responsibilities include outreach and implementation. So anything that we do in the community and just a smattering of adult stuff and prayer stuff and a whole bunch of other things are just dumped into the job description. And mm-hmm. I love the variety. And I'm an Enneagram 7 for those of you who are into the Enneagram. Me too.
0: Yay! Hi, folks.
2: Uh so I just love all the new things, all like I just love many many things. And um yeah. I think that's like like career-wise at least that's mm-hmm. a synopsis of who mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. in person-wise. Fun.
1: Well, we are actually chat. So last time we she was on which has not come out yet, she said, <laughs> so Oh my goodness, you're doing dead mentors. And you were so fired up about it. And then you were like, has anyone done Henry now and yet? And so we were like, Oh my goodness, absolutely. Come on. yay!" So like, I mean, it's interesting cause I, I, yeah, hearing your, I didn't know, I don't know you as well as Jen does. So even hearing that little journey of like life, like your career and yeah. going here and then doing some studies, being a pastor now, all those things. Um, Yeah. Maybe just, I'd love to hear kind of where studying people from the past and stuff, is that something you've always enjoyed? Is it something that now you, you know, realize is important Mm -hmm. or you're just Mm -hmm. like, I just love Henry Nowen. That's, Mm -hmm. that's about as far as it goes.
2: Yeah. He's one of my faves. I think seminary really opened my eyes to a lot of writers that I'd never been exposed to Mm -hmm. growing up in church. Although Henry Nowen, like if I get specifically into Henry Nowen, like I was exposed to him way back, probably in my 20s when I went for some prayer ministry Mm. um, through like a friend's parents. And they just sort of handed me this book and said, here, read this. it was Life of the Beloved by Henry Nowen. And I started going on personal spiritual retreats once a year. And I literally read this book every single year for 17 years on my personal prayer retreat. Mm. It's like a I don't know, 80-page book. It's super short. And then when I went to seminary, about, when was that, 2006, just learning church history and having to read um, different Christian authors through the centuries. There's a lot that I would still love to, like, delve into more, but, like, getting a high-level exposure to, you know, Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross and, oh, my gosh, like, just so many different... Especially I was really drawn to those that were sort of like more in the, like the Christian mystics Mm -hmm. um, that were really focused on prayer and the interior life um, and just their contribution to spiritual formation over the centuries. So I really was drawn to that stuff in my, um, in my master's of theological studies. Uh, I love that. But Henry Nowen has sort of been a a staple that I keep coming back to when I'm, trying to find stuff to read. Like, I I try to read, like, current stuff, but then I'll also try to have something more... I mean, Henry Nouwen is is relatively contemporary, right? Like, he just died, like, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But, like, some older Christian authors I like to throw into the mix regularly just to keep it fresh. And then one of the pastors that I work with, he is actually working on his PhD in historical theology. So he's really Mm -hmm. huge into, well, particularly... Augustine, but like other um, people throughout history. So him and I will often bounce off ideas and he'll give me people that, Oh, you need to read this, Connie, or you need to read this. There's just so many, there's so much richness. <laughs> so, but, but like I said, Henry Nowen is one that I keep circling back to just because I think there's wisdom there to be mind. And mm-hmm. he writes with a real, almost like a real simplicity. Like I say, this one book is super short, mm-hmm. but when you read it, like, almost 20 times. Like, there's just something new to mine from it every day. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, I say, no, he's not like scripture. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you'll see. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I, um, but there's just, he has a beautiful approach that's kind of um, different than mm-hmm. other contemporary authors that I've read. So. Cool. Anyways, so that's kind of a long answer to your question, but oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where that comes from. And just wanting to learn, and I love to read. Like, I love to always have something on the go. Usually I have some fiction, some theology, some older theology on the go at all times because I'm a seven. I like to have all the things going all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. I can have five books on the go at the same time. That doesn't bug me.
0: Um, I continue to be struck that we cannot sum up a whole person's life in one conversation. Mm. But we're mm. going to try your best to <laughs> sum up some highlights maybe. And even then... like well, yeah. He, it, the point is just to pique interest that hopefully yeah. people
2: can actually look him up and read
0: Mm-hmm.
2: for themselves if this is something that interests them.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yes. Consider it, listeners, your invitation. This <laughs> uh, is your invitation to yeah. read Henry Nouwen. Yes. <laughs> so, let's just dive in. Who is Henry and what did his life look like? So, he was a Catholic
2: priest who was born in the Netherlands. He was born 1932 and, oh no, he passed away more than 10 years ago. He passed away in 1996, actually. don't know why I thought it was 10 years ago. It was longer ago. Um, So he was a priest who was trained in the Netherlands as a Jesuit. And he really, in his own studies, like zoned in with like philosophy and psychology and theology. That was really like the areas of study that he just loved. He was a real academic. And he became this really distinguished teacher and speaker. Um, He ended up serving most of his career at very prestigious American universities, Notre Dame, Yale, Harvard, teaching pastoral theology to, um, to priests. And, um, but he, over time, um, I don't know that he became disillusioned with, um, academia as much as he felt a call from God to something different. So the last 10 years of his life, he actually spent in Larsh community in Toronto, which is a community um, where um, people with mental um, and intellectual disabilities live and work and are in community with other people, people who aren't, who who walk with them. And so he ended up being the pastor and priest of that community for the mm. last 10 years of his life and just gave up his entire academic career and just was called to this really living into what does it mean to be Jesus in this place of downward mobility where these people have no interest or no understanding of who he was, what he accomplished and did in his writing and his teaching and his speaking that was all around the world, but just to serve, you know, Bill with this incredible intellectual handicap and just love um, people and, and for him to not like to almost become more invisible, like not be recognized mm. for who he was. But is he a person of love in that setting? So, um, he really um, grew also in just his own ability to minister from his own woundedness and brokenness. He he was quite conflicted in a lot of ways, in like in his interior self, and and just. Um, grew in his own prayer life to just receive the love of God, to view himself as the beloved of God. And from that place of wounding, but yet deep embrace of God, to that would be his fuel for ministry. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's sort of the high level. Um, so I think, you know, for him... You know, he was a man that had a lot of deep struggles. Uh, he was many, much of his writing speaks to his loneliness, his longing for intimacy. It's, it's, it's been discussed since his death that he was possibly a homosexual, like homosexual orientation and mm-hmm. just how, how that kind of, um, just made him conflicted within himself. It, it's not that he ever acted on that to anybody's knowledge in terms of actually pursuing a relationship, but he knew that he had attachments to certain relationships that were unhealthy, and then you know kept bringing that back to Jesus and in, in trying to find his wholeness in God alone. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a as a priest taking a vow of chastity, like that mm-hmm. was part of his lifelong journey. And and there were bouts of depression through his life, and reconciling his struggles with depression with his own faith journey. How do those things work um, together? So he was just a really complex, multi layered person. Um, but just beautiful in the way that he communicates through his writing so vulnerably his own journey um, but yet also just with such clarity and simplicity that's just really really accessible so even though he's this great academic like he doesn't really come across like that in at least these writings um, that I'm going to talk about in a bit so yeah, so that's kind of high level. Mm. So I have a lot of respect for that. I think yeah. that, as particularly the thing that struck me, um, just that 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 journey of downward mobility, right, and his intentional choice to go that direction rather than just stay in academia until he retired, or I don't know what priests do when they retire. I do no know if they <laughs> retire. I don't know how it works in the Roman Catholic world, but um, yeah, that that has always struck me. Mm. Is something yeah. to just deeply respect and
1: yeah, that's learn cool. from. I feel like I'm vaguely familiar. Like, I just, you hear lots about Henry Allen, but actually, like, I don't know much about him. So this is kind of interesting to hear all the different layers. Yeah. And I find a lot of really good theologians are not great theologians because their life has been so great. But mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to see, like, kind of how that struggle and tension and also it's interesting. Yeah, the the wide variety of places that he served, like that's also very, yeah. Mm, A faithful man, it sounds like. Um, What would you say are a few main lessons that you kind of take away from his life?
2: Well, first off, I want to say that he was the first Catholic writer that I ever really got into um, as a, you know, from the Protestant stream and the evangelical stream in particular. I'd never been exposed to many Catholic writers and – you know and and in seminary again I, there was a, especially in being in the spiritual formation track and doing spiritual direction like everything is Roman Catholic basically that you right, need to yeah. read in that that realm it's just not as widely um, known in evangelical circles so so i think that was really just eye opening for me to read from a catholic priest that i could just learn from and respect so much even though i don't really resonate with certain pieces of catholic theology i think we as Protestants in particular have a lot to learn from the Roman Catholics who really like carried the faith for Mm -hmm. 1,500 Mm -hmm. years until the Reformation. So there just needs to be greater respect on our end in terms of our willingness to learn from that. So maybe that's a precursor. It's not really answering your question, but I just needed to say that out loud that I think we have a lot to learn, um, from many, um, Catholic writers. Um, I think, um, the journey into downward mobility, which I've already touched on, I think is one of the big lessons I've learned from him. He really touches a lot on the need for um, silence and solitude. And you kind of find that woven through a bunch of his different books, um, which again, as a seven intrigues me, but also terrifies me Mm. because it's hard to be alone when you know that things might surface within you that are painful. And as a seven, we love to run from pain at all costs. So, so I was, I was, I was both drawn to the invitations I read in his writing, but also kind of repulsed by it and like resistant to it. (laughs) No. So I think those two things in particular were like the biggest gifts for me. Um, I wanna maybe can I just unpack some of these books, maybe yes, one by please. one. Because then I think it would help me with themes because I think I've learned something different from different books. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna do a little, yes. little book chat. What yes. is that called? Like a uh, book reviews.
1: It's Connie's Book Club. <laughs> Connie's
2: Book Club. To Connie's book club. <laughs> 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 the first book today that we're going to discuss is <laughs> No, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just touch on the first one that I was given. This is the one Life of the Beloved, like I said, was given to me by a friends, parents. And they just said, you just need to read this, Connie. So like I said, I read it for 17 years in a row. Every year on my prayer retreat, it is, let me count how many pages. It is like 100 pages, but like the print is really, really big and the pages are really small. Um, Life of the Beloved was a book that Henry Nowen wrote to his secular Jew friend. And his secular Jew friend said to him, all your writing is like way out there, like write something for the average person about the spiritual life. So, this was his response and letter to his Jewish secular friend about this is what the spiritual life is about. Basically, what this book talks about is, um, and it was groundbreaking for me because I'd never thought that this could be about, this could be for me as well. But, Life of the Beloved, Mm. the belovedness of Jesus, when God the Father said, You are my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased that that is also God's word over us. You are my beloved. And I had never thought that I could hear that message for myself. I thought, that's for Jesus, right? That's not for me. Mm. So that's why I had to read this book so many times. I'm like, really? Really? I'm your beloved child? And the way he unpacks it in this book, he has four movements that he goes through, and, um, and he likens it to the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper, we would call it. And the Eucharist, as we know in the Roman Catholic faith, is something they do every time we, they meet. Some of us in Protestant traditions don't do it that often, but um, he likens it, our, our spiritual life to four basic movements that are in communion, which is um, Jesus took or he chose the bread, so the taking, the choosing of us as individuals. So we are like the bread. We're chosen by Jesus. We are blessed by Jesus. When Jesus prayed a blessing over this bread, we are broken. Each of us are broken and really unique in different ways. And then we are given. We are given to be gifts to the world. And each of those movements... Um, he unpacks in this book in really fresh ways, um, like this, this fact of our chosenness and our belovedness that we are, you know, I'll just read like one quote from this part and one quote from another section, but he says to his friend, you know, from all eternity, long before you were born and became a part of history, you existed in God's heart. Long before your parents admired you or your friends acknowledged your gifts or your teachers, colleagues, or employers encouraged you, you were already chosen. The eyes of love have seen you as precious, as of infinite beauty, as of eternal value. And he just unpacks this chosenness that it's not a competitive chosenness, that it's not, you know, you're chosen over somebody else, but God's heart is big enough to choose each of us Mm. individually. And and we are each beloved because of our uniqueness. Um, so and, and just what I have to read one quote about their brokenness too, because it's just it was mind-boggling to me. Yeah, so we're 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 chosen, we are blessed, and our blessed means to speak into being what is our the truest, um, our truest selves in the sense of the way God intended us to be, the way that God before the creation of the world created us to be. That to be blessed is to call that that truest identity of ourselves into reality, right? And then um, brokenness. Um, And I love the way he touches on this because, again, this is mind-boggling to me. Our sufferings and pains are not simply bothersome interruptions of our lives. Rather, they touch in our uniqueness and our most intimate individuality. The way I am broken tells you something unique about me way you are broken tells me something unique about you. And then he goes on to say, you know, that's why we feel privileged when we're called into somebody else's pain, Mm -hmm. but we also can honor it as being completely different than our own. And it gives validity to our own that it's not, again, it's not a comparison thing. It's not, oh, you know, because I'm not as broken as so-and-so then how dare I feel this way about, you know, what's going on in my life. But it just gives a validity to the uniqueness of the ways that each of us are broken. Mm -hmm but yet how God meets us in that. So it's just, there was just like, ah, this is just so beautiful and so many layers to unpack, you know, and then it's not like a a navel gazing of just receiving this belovedness, but then, you know, how does that, after we are broken, that, that given and that miraculous, you know, spreading out of the gift of what God has done in our lives to others around us. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's book number one. Mm-hmm. Please go out and purchase your own copy. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. like for opening the <laughs> up the indigo tab here. <laughs> purchase
0: Life of the Beloved.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that was huge. Um, just to to really sit with, you know, being the beloved of God, mm. and um,
0: it actually it
2: was funny because later in seminary um, <clears throat> we did a actually it was a week long retreat. It was part of the spiritual direction um, classes that I took. I'm actually a trained spiritual director as well. I don't know mm. if I told you that, but <laughs> I'm not really practicing that right now, but it was so great learning and, and did it for a number of years. But we went away on a retreat, um, and it was getting near the end of seminary. I'm like, Oh, you know, Lord, what is my calling? Like, what, who am I in you? Blah, blah, blah. Like all these sort of like big life questions. I think it was, you know, my late thirties, which is often the big, like midlife kind of like, blah, time of life. And, um, I remember just sitting in silence in the chapel and it was like five words just sort of dropped out of the sky to me that just spoke to who, who God said I was. My And they were teach, encourage, listen, create, and betrothed. And that word betrothed mm. was sort of related to this idea of being the beloved of God, like being like I'm betrothed, I am promised, I am promised to, you know, my Lord until I see him, I am cherished by him, I'm chosen by him, you know, all that, that sort of, um, meaning of what that word means. So that was really a gift. I think that sort of was loosely related to having soaked in that book for a lot of years.
0: Yeah. Okay. Number two? Moving
2: on. Number two.
0: There's so much here. I'm just <laughs> letting it soak in. <laughs> just feel free to jump in and cut me off, or else I'll
2: just keep talking. No, keep going. We love it. Okay. This book, especially you girls doing arrow leadership, this is a leadership book you must read. Mm. It is called In the Name of Jesus, and it is Reflections on Christian Leadership by Henry Nowen. Henry Nowen was invited to speak at a Christian leadership conference in Washington, D.C. This is during the time when he was at L'Arche Community in Toronto. And he felt he needed to bring Bill Van Buren with him, who was one of the men he lived with at L'Arche, who was one of the men with mental um, disabilities. And he weaves that story of traveling with Bill and doing this ministry together with Bill, because Bill was very convinced we are doing this together, right, Henry? And Henry's like, yeah, we're doing this together. Okay. So he goes to this Christian leadership conference in Washington, D.C., him and Bill, and he speaks on this. And this is completely revolutionary because it turns upside down, you know, all the secular ways of thinking of leadership. And even a lot of the Christian, um, not a lot, but some of the Christian stuff that I've read on leadership, which is sort of, you know, CEO-ish sort of sounding or very administrative in nature or very like, you know, rah-rah, um he, again, in his just sort of simple, beautiful way of, of somehow condensing, I don't know how he does this in his brain, but just condensing and putting together pieces. There's sort of three tracks that he goes through in this book. And they're all based around the temptations of Jesus. Then he puts that up against the call to Peter at the end of John from Jesus about, do you love me, feed my lambs? Mm-hmm. And then what are the spiritual disciplines? So let me give you a high level on this because this is just like fantastic stuff. <laughs> so he says, the first temptation when Jesus was tempted by the enemy to turn stones into bread, he said, really what that is for us as leaders is the temptation to be relevant. Like, we want to be relevant. We need to We need to make bread. It's relevant. That's a relevant need. We got to fix that need. We got to do that. That was Jesus' temptation was to be relevant. And that is our temptation as well as leaders to be relevant, which I thought was, wow. Isn't that like just backwards? Mm. My eyes literally just like, (laughs) whoa. (laughs) Right? Because like, what? Like, we're not supposed to be relevant? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But track with me. So then he says the invitation then instead from this John 21 story really is, do you love Jesus? Mm. Like, it's not about having relevance being the focus, but is our intimacy with Jesus first and foremost. And then his solution for that or his practical spiritual discipline in that is contemplative prayer, just dwelling in the presence of the one who asks us if we love him. Mm. And like, that's kind of all he says. Like, he doesn't really tell you how to do this. Like, he doesn't, you know, like, he's not like giving like a one, two, three formula like at all, but it's just, it was kind of mind-blowing, like, wow, like that is so counterintuitive mm-hmm. for the way that we look at leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's step one, or that's the first piece. And then the second uh, temptation of Jesus he looks at is, um, you know, that one where the devil told Jesus, you know, throw, your, throw yourself off this this peak and the angels will rescue you and it'll all be amazing. And really what, what Henry says is, the temptation for Jesus in this moment is to be spectacular or to be popular or to be like, wow, like you're amazing. Right. Like, um, yeah, he uses those words popular and spectacular. And again, mm-hmm. it's just like, whoa, like we want to be well liked. We want to like have something that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome and spectacular in leadership. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, uh-uh. like that's, that's the actual temptation that Jesus went through himself to, to, to be elevated in his own personhood so then again, back to the John 21 passage, continuing the, that dialogue between Peter and Jesus. You know, Jesus said to Peter, after he said, do you love me? He says, you know, feed my sheep. And what he meant by that, at least the way Henry unpacks it, is this is ministry and community. There's no superstars, there's no popularity contest, there's no place for spectacularness, but ministering in community. And again, knowing that Henry presented this with bill you know mm. from his community like wow what a testimony right of mm. just how to minister in community with somebody who is just you know serving out of their brokenness and weakness and and yet doing that like together it's just such a beautiful picture of what's possible and then he said uh, out of that the 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 spiritual discipline is that of confession and confession in community, not just confession alone, but that there's that place of where you need to do this in community for true healing to happen. And that that's what disarms the darkness when we actually name in our community, the things that we need to confess, um, and that that will ultimately disarm the darkness. Mm -hmm. So that's the second movement. And then the third movement in this book is, um, the temptation to Jesus to be, really to be all-powerful, that, that, you know, he would be worshipped if he, or, or that um, Satan would give him the kingdom, he'd be all-powerful if Jesus only worshipped uh, Satan. So he said this is the temptation to be powerful. And, um, again, as leaders, that can grate against many of us of what we, we kind of want, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then back to the John 21 passage, um where the interaction between Peter and Jesus ends with Jesus telling Peter what's going to happen in his future. You know, somebody is going to dress you and take you and lead you where you don't want to go. So that is really where leadership needs to ultimately go is that place of downward mobility Mm. and of being willing to be led where you don't want to go. And I think we can all relate to that as leaders on some level, of how that just happens naturally in that Mm -hmm. position, right? Where you get pulled into a lot of stuff that's really, really challenging or um, difficult. But also to be wary of, you know, career-wise, am I trying to go up or am I actually following the way of Jesus and being willing to lead downward? Because, you know, ultimately it was to the cross for Jesus. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us are actually going to... Many of us will never experience that, but but that is the invitation, the trajectory that we need to be on mm. career-wise, leadership-wise, everything-wise, right? And then he says for that section, the spiritual discipline is really about theological reflection. And I thought that was a really interesting spiritual d- discipline for him to touch on, that there's just a need for leaders to be deeply theologically rooted, mm. that that can be our place for where discernment and discerning God's voice really happens—that it doesn't happen in this like airy fairy vacuum, but it happens in a real, um, true understanding of of theology and scripture, and yeah. um, you know, using that as a tool to help with discernment. So, there you go. In the name of Jesus.
0: Woo! This is like crash course. <laughs> I think, again, I've heard all of those stories so many times, like the ones that Henry now unuses. I'm just so blown away again by Jesus's humility, like the passages that talk about like Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Like the magnitude of that
1: Mm.
0: is insane when you really like in just the way that you described it and the way that Henry kind of unpacks it. Mm. Just like the simplicity of it, just because it's simple does not mean that it is easy to grasp or to understand and when Jesus really invites us to follow him, it is not, um, for the fame and glory or whatever that might come from leadership opportunities or, or whatever, really, whatever, um, that surrender, surrender is just the word that keeps coming to mind as you're talking about mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. Psh- Okay. Again, well, I to listen to this. I'm in a
2: stage of life too, where you know I'm definitely in the second half of life, and and tracking with a bunch of people who are older than me, mm. and seeing how some do that downward mobility well, and some who don't do that downward mobility mm. well. Mm. Right? Like as things are stripped from you, whether it's health or mental capacity, or job, or living situation, or whatever that that those who do it well embrace it as not like this hardship that they have to endure but it's just like this is the natural pro- progression and this mm. ultimately will lead to deeper life like there's this woman in our church who I always say I want to grow up to be like her someday like her name mm. is Marie and she you know was widowed with six young kids earlier in her life, and then she ended up remarrying, and this man who went into ministry, and um, I probably shouldn't tell too much of her story, but she's now in her 80s, and she's just this incredible prayer warrior. She's incredibly encouraging. She'll text me regularly, which is awesome, from like this Mm -hmm. 85-year-old, right? Um, But her health is like, not great right now. And she's in and out of the hospital, but every time I see her, she is just like filled with like gratitude and the presence of Jesus is so near. And and her pain is so on the surface too. It's not like she's, 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 you know, nobody enjoys that, but she's just learning how to do this downward mobility with her body and, you know, losing her home because she needs care. And, you know, um, all those things, but she's doing so well. And I'm just like, Oh Jesus. Like, I want to, I want to do that. I want to be open to whatever the losses look for, for, like for me now and in the future that I can do it with that kind of willingness and joy and presence to what is possible. Because it's, you know, that's where you see like, it's in dying that new life happens. Right. Mm. And we think in our careers and you know, as we go further into adulthood and blah, 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 things are just going to keep going up and up and up and up. But um, what are the gifts of going down? <laughs> hmm. What are the gifts of going down? And to be open to that and willing to to receive what new life actually looks like in those places. So, Yeah.
0: I guess yeah that that
2: mm-hmm. this this book in the name of Jesus sort of speaks to that upside down way of looking at things, um, which we need a lot of reminders of mm-hmm. because we're wired the other way. I think. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, is it just I
0: here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really appreciate that that um, that truth transcends age. Like for us sitting at twenty five. Like, this is very applicable for teenagers listening to this. It's very applicable for them, for people who are middle age, people who are seniors. Like, it, it applies to life in general. Um, well, and you
2: see the choice of the people who do that well and the people mm-hmm. who don't do that well, right? I think all of us are presented with those choices when we have losses or we have downward movements in our lives that are crappy and terrible mm-hmm. on whatever level. We have a choice, mm-hmm. Right. And I've seen so many people in my life choose what I think is really badly and sadly and have either walked away from Jesus or have become bitter or have lashed out out of their pain to others because they just haven't been able to process mm-hmm. their own. Right. So yeah, we're all ultimately faced with that, all at different ages and seasons of life. So it's what do we do with that? How do we view that as an invitation? How do we grieve, yes, and name what's lost? But what is the unique gift also in that loss that we wouldn't have received had that loss not happened? Mm. So, yeah, maybe that's something for all of us in every season. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let me do... Okay, so... One of my earliest um, seminary assignments was reading The Genesee Diary by Henry Nowen. And this was when he spent seven months at a Trappist monastery. And it's basically his journal. And I'm like, why are we reading a journal as part of this course? Like, <laughs> I'm like, whatever, you know. But, um, well, A, he's just such a beautiful writer. Like, he just has this beautiful voice. And I'm a bit of a book snob. And, like, things have to be written well for me to actually want to read them. So some writers are definitely better at that when it comes to theology and, you know, stuff you got to read for school mm-hmm. than others. And so that's why uh, A, is a gift just because his writing is, is delicious. But B, um, this was in between, this is before he discerned to go to Alarsh, and it was part of his formation into that journey of mm-hmm. silence and solitude and, um, like really on the ground, living it in the rhythms of the Trappist Monastery of work and prayer and and all the things that that encapsulated. Because he, he didn't live in a monastic community as a priest, other than this season that I'm aware of. And just how prayer and work work together and, you know, giving voice to all that interior stuff that arises when you sit in silence and solitude and meeting with the spiritual director. And it's just like, you got to sit with silence and solitude more (laughs) because you got a lot, you know, you got a lot more that needs Mm -hmm. to be unearthed. And, um, excuse me, the way that he just jumped into that and just honestly captures that journey and that progression in this book You know, ultimately, at the end of it, he doesn't think that he walked away from that community any different than the person he went in as. But yet, um, I think it did. Like, I think it birthed something in him that ultimately changed the trajectory of his life. Um, You know, and and I think the value of living in community and the way that he was called to that, particularly later in life, um, was really formed in this place at the Genesee. It's actually a monastery somewhere in the States. I forget where. Um, yeah, so it, it his time, there really brought him closer to Christ, closer to knowing his truest inner self, the good and the bad, but then ultimately like closer to the world. like He felt just more compassion, I think, for others because he had that time to sort of do the deep dive uh, mm-hmm. into his interior world and uh, where it was broken and where it was in need of healing. So anyways, it was a fantastic read. Highly recommend that's number three. Number four, this is called way of the heart. Connecting with God through prayer, wisdom, and silence. Um, did you hear a theme? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so this one, he's always got like a little hook with each book of like sort of where it comes out of. Like there are mm. themes that kind of overlap into different books, but there's always a reason behind each. I don't know how many books he wrote. He wrote a scatter them. Like there's just tons. Yeah. I don't even know how many books he read. And like there's other ones in my office at, at church. Like he wrote a beautiful one on spiritual direction that was really helpful for me when I was doing that study. Just so many Anyways, Way of the Heart was one where he really focused on the teachings of the desert fathers and mothers, which were a monastic mm-hmm. community way early on in the Christian um, faith. Like after Christianity was sort of becoming the, the the state religion, there was this movement to get away from that because it just felt too worldly, too too like secular. And so this whole group moved out to the desert and just be monks in the desert because they just felt it was too worldly and they just needed to be alone. Um, you know, to flee the, the, the invitation that they felt was to flee, flee the world, which was what they saw, um, institutional Christianity becoming to be silent and to pray. And those were sort of their three invitations. So he focuses on those, um, Solitude, silence, and prayer. Solitude is that that invitation to flee, because he says um, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Hmm. Whoo! The furnace of transformation. Whoa. Right. Yeah. And that just that being naked, being um, like really just nothing, like just your just the nothingness that you offer in aloneness. Mm. Um, to others, to God even, that that's the place where the work can begin, right? Wow. Um, and he said, you know, solitude, it, it, this isn't like some vague or general thing. Like it is actually like a discipline like you actually have to practice. Like how how can you carve this into your rhythms to make sure that this happens so that you give space mm-hmm. for yourself to be ultimately transformed, um, by God and then silence, um, he speaks about the invitation to silence, um, as a place to, here's another great quote, to tend the inner fire of the spirit. So to tend the inner fire of the Holy spirit is what he's talking about. He's talking about, this is a place where, um, we need to be without words, Extended periods, because there's a lot of dangers of too many words. Like mm-hmm. our words get us in trouble, right? Yeah. yeah. And especially being an extrovert, and chatty, I get myself into trouble. All I made a big mistake during family updates at church yesterday that I actually had to text somebody right afterwards and just apologize because I was just like my words, like it just came out before I really gave thought to what I was saying. So silence is a place to where we learn how to speak. Because when we tend the inner life of the Spirit in us and we're without words, not just verbally, but like even in our mind, just really trying to quiet our thoughts, that that's the birthplace of actual life-giving words, Mm -hmm. that we can speak as we come out of silence. So if we don't have that rhythm of entering silence, we won't have a place for life-giving words to be birthed from. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the second piece in this book. And then the third piece is prayer. And he talks in this one, this is sort of a, a little more ethereal or mystical way of looking at prayer, but more of this prayer of the heart, which is, um, some of the mystics talk about this, but um, where the mind, he, he says the mind descends into the heart. So this isn't a, an intellectual prayer this isn't a mind praying sort of thing but it's it's meant to really sink into our heart so that um you know spirit communes with spirit in this in this 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 mystical quiet way of praying so less words maybe breath prayers or maybe like just focusing on one one piece of god's character and allowing that just to be the prayer um rather than it being a mind-filled, word-filled way of praying. So, yeah, so that's Way of the Heart. Again, short, a short read, but mm-hmm. like Yeah, rich. I feel
1: like I need to say that too Of for anyone listening. Like we've gone over five books, but none of them are very big. Mm-mm. They're Mm-mm. all very, very manageable.
2: Yeah, they're very short. Mm. Okay, last book, and then mm. we'll wrap it up. This is the one that you were going to read, yeah. right? Like, oh, yes. Return of the Prodigal Son. So this is um, a famous painting by Rembrandt. Henry Naurin was introduced to the painting um, in a friend's office and was really drawn to it for whatever reason. Long story short, he ended up in St. Petersburg in Russia where the actual original is, and he spent hours, like I think it was two days back-to-back, just sitting and meditating on the scripture and this picture. And just mining it for all of its depths of what he felt Rembrandt captured of the spirit of God in this Mm -hmm. painting. And um, I love it. I loved it because, A, it's one way to approach um, religious art that is a model for us, again, that aren't used Mm -hmm. to necessarily doing this, but like Mm -hmm. really it's called like Visio Divina, like where you Mm -hmm. really just soak in a piece of artwork. That draws you deeper into a truth about who God is through the beauty of it, like using the colors and the composition and all the things in it to just draw you in. Um, just a side note um, Betty Dickinson, is she with Youth for Christ or is she with, I forget who, anyways, excuse me, she's an artist out of the States who, um, She has an entire Advent series of paintings that she's done Mm. that our church is actually going to use some of those um, over Advent as like a focal point to our worship service. But there's just a way of being drawn into particularly a narrative um, that artwork can do and can bypass certain things Mm. that just reading it on a page you know, we don't get, but to see somebody's interpretation of that and the Mm -hmm. way that that can draw us into worship Mm -hmm. is just beautiful. So look it up, Mm -hmm. Betty Dickinson. It's called Making Room for Advent. And it's just, it's like 25 paintings she did all about Advent. And it has some great, like, guiding questions of how to just soak in the artwork and just to reflect in prayer Mm -hmm. based on... Anyways, so that's basically what he did with this Prodigal Son painting. And he spends so much time with each of the characters in the painting from Rembrandt, mm. but um, just really high level. Well, actually, and this also, again, was also formative in his life and actually was sort of the final thing that tipped him over to making, deciding to make L'Arche his community for like the, the remainder of his days. This actually sort of was the tipping point for him. And he focuses in this book on the younger son return and the choices that Rembrandt made of how he painted this scrappy-looking, disheveled young man, uh, the father's um, restoration of sonship, um, the older son's just vengefulness, and then the father's deep compassion in these bystanders. So it's it really just... Um, uses this painting as a springboard, as a different way to unpack this story that I think all of us are really familiar with. Um, But I think he was most struck with the father heart of God. And again, not just how the father does that for both us as the younger son and the elder son, because I think at different points in our life, we are both of those sons. But how also do we model the father's compassion for the younger sons and the elder sons in our lives, which, again, was sort of revolutionary for me to think of that story that way, um, of how we're invited into that story. So so there you go. Here's my top five books. Amazing.
0: (laughs) Clink, clink, clink. Yeah, I'm going to... That's a lot. I'm going to have to add all of those books to my I told myself Here's a reminder for everyone listening,
1: for myself, for you that we don't need to read all of these books in the next 5 days and learn no. and digest mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. about them.
0: No. I think that's the one thing I'm actually struck by as you as you kind of did a yeah, 30,000 foot view of his life and more of his writings of how much time all of this would have taken for him to think and mm. process and study and write and like yeah, like we're so, um, instant gratification Mm -hmm. is what we really crave for Mm -hmm. and how this is the opposite of that. This is years of deep thinking and prayer and meeting with God. And, um, yeah, like the invitation that is there. I like for myself today, I'm just like, slow down, Jen. Mm-hmm. Silence is good. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to fill every moment with noise or even with like checking the box of like, oh, read my Bible today. Check, moving mm-hmm. on. Um, there's such an invitation to sit in it, mm-hmm. which is one thing that stands out to me as I'm, yeah, hearing about all these writings of Henry Nowen.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, we can get overwhelmed and say, oh my goodness, I got to read all these things. Mm. No, that's that's not why I'm here to do this. But if, if something either of what You know, he wrote about that just you need to sit with. Maybe that's where you need to sit today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you do need to pick up one of these and just sit with one of these pieces of writing, something that you know that it's just touching something within you that it's like, oh, I feel an invitation there that feels like something Mm -hmm. life-giving for me, and I'm going to run with that and actually follow through on that. I think that would be useful.
0: Mm -hmm. That's so good. to everybody
2: listening? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Follow the invitation that you sense
0: most keenly in this moment. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, this question seems a little silly after uh, <laughs> what you just unpacking <laughs> all this books. Yeah. What can we learn from him today? What can we learn from him today? Because well, I think there's so much I think much you there. should be a leader and be
2: relevant and <laughs> popular uh, and uh, spectacular. Uh, <laughs> and go. Okay.
0: End <laughs> <laughs> of <a> conversation. No. <laughs>
2: um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's so much to glean there, right? Mm-hmm. I think um, – What can we learn today? I think we can learn to pay attention to what is the invitation that's actually in the way of Jesus for me for today.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Maybe that's the invitation. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like he modeled this in different seasons of his life in different ways. Like who chooses to sit before a painting for two full days? Mm -hmm. You know, a busy writer, speaker, Harvard prof, blah, blah, blah. Right. But he chose, Oh, I'm going to go to St. Petersburg and I'm going to sit in front of this mm. painting for two days. Mm. Right. Like what is our invitation to sit in front of a painting mm. right now? Mm. Um, and to really listen and allow that to be enough. I think it's a seven maybe you feel this too Ainsley. Someone's like, Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. I can, do that. I can do that. I can do that. And add it to all to the list. Cause it's like, Oh, all those things sound so great. We almost get to be like a, a spiritual glutton junkie, like mm. I want to do all the spiritual experiences because they all sound amazing and I need them all right now. But I think as I'm growing in my sevenness of how to live that in a healthy way, no, what is the one invitation for me for right now for this season that mm. feels like a joyful invitation? It might be hard what's the joyful invitation for me right now Mm. of what God is inviting me into, whether it's a spiritual discipline or whether it's an act of obedience or whether it's, you know, go here, read this, do this, Mm. but just, you know, what is the one thing to pay attention to that? Because I think sometimes it almost becomes like a a distraction or a defense mechanism to say, oh, Mm. you know, oh, Ainsley's doing this over here. I need to follow that and do that because that seems amazing because she's growing that way. And that might be true. Maybe it is. But maybe looking at what Ainsley's doing and wanting to follow Ainsley or Jen, you know, is just not my invitation for me from Jesus for right now, Mm -hmm. for what Mm -hmm. I need to Mm -hmm. hear from his spirit, right? So we can sometimes run from the invitation Mm -hmm. because we think somebody else's invitation is better than the one that we're invited into, you know? more sexy or more exciting or more whatever mm-hmm. um, so I think that's one thing we can learn what's the What's the one thing mm-hmm. um, yeah so there you go ladies every now and welcome hope you uh, enjoyed this dead mentor yes, he he's been a good. gift in my life and I hope he's a gift in many other people's lives now that you've been a bit exposed mm-hmm. to what yeah. he has to offer because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot
1: yeah thank you yeah it's It's neat. and can we always, I mean, Jen and I, we're probably guilty of this, but we just get excited about, like, Mm -hmm. people's favorite resources and, like, Mm -hmm. what as whatever. And so this actually is great because, like, learning about what kind of books and things are the most your favorites and different Mm -hmm. things like that and little tidbits and, yeah, even that at the end of, like, you know, what's the one invitation. And yes, when you asked if I, um, related as a seven, I do, I do. Um, so that one invitation of what God might be actually asking mm-hmm. you to, to mull on or consider mm-hmm. or digest or pick up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's
0: good. So thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I need to, (laughs) literally, I'm the kind of person, I also relate, even though I'm not an Enneagram 7, I relate to you guys in, like, oh, that sounds good, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. That's why I can't buy any more new books until I read the books on my shelf, because Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I just, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I want to learn, and I want to read, but Mm -hmm. sometimes I miss that invitation of what is for me. Mm -hmm. Um... It's sometimes yeah. when you're
2: in school you don't have that luxury oh, either. Yeah. You just have to do certain. You just got to do, do, do what you got to do. You got to do.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm the kind of person that needs to go on long walks to think things through. Mm-hmm. I'm just power walking and all mm-hmm. Myra and whatever else. So I think I need to go on a power walk after this and oh, yeah. just sit with what does God want for me here today. And I would yeah. encourage people listening to this to actually like after this is uh, mm-hmm. this episode is done, just to like almost sit in silence mm-hmm. and just like hold this conversation before Jesus and ask him what invitation he has for you. Because mm. um, it's just so easy to move on, mm. to keep like doing what we're doing and we miss it. So thank you so much for leaving this conversation with that because I think that is, yeah, it's just so important. And if we're not aware, we just just miss it. So, yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're Such a pleasure. It's and right again, back. come back whenever. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more episodes coming up soon, but we're in a little bit of um, a space to breathe right now. However, starting January, we are going to have for you Rhythms of Grace, an eight-week, actually a little bit more than eight weeks. It technically is 10 weeks altogether of podcast episodes, but an eight-week study on spiritual practices that basically is equipping you to learn and know more about eight spiritual practices that we really believe are transformational and lead to greater knowledge and understanding of God's grace. We are going to have books for sale if you so desire. Between 10 and $15, information coming very, very soon on that. Until then, grab your people and get ready. We have so many exciting things happening. Anything to add, Jenny? I'm so excited. <laughs> so until next time, toodaloo,
0: have a great week.